ערב טוב. We're back to our final shiur and agada before Chag HaPesach, Chag HaMatzot, Haba'alenu Valkol Yisrael Letova, Bezrat Hashem. And because of that, I don't want to leave any of Rabbeinu Avraham and Rambam's introduction hanging. And I'm going to try as much as possible to get through as much as possible today so that hopefully we can finish pages 5, 6, 7, and 8 today. And that way we won't have to continue with this right after Pesach. If we mention until today that there are five parts of the derashot of Chazal. So we have Agadah, broken up at the derashot, the way the Chachamim uh, share things in Agadah. That's broken up at the five different ways. Chelak HaMaasiyot, the part of the stories of Chachamim, every, every story that you hear, this Chacham went here, this Chacham said that, this Chacham saw this, all of those stories are broken up into four parts. Hachelak HaRishon, page 5. And if you can't find your source sheet in the Google Classroom, it'll be under the introduction of Rabbeinu Avraham ben HaRambam. It'll be attached to the Zoom meeting as an attachment, as well as in the classwork section of the Google Classroom, you'll find this introduction. HaChelek HaRishon, the first part. Ma'asiyot shehayu v'she'iru ba'olam kefi ma'shetimtza otam k'tuvim. Stories that happen in the world, the way that they are written. And our Chachamim mentioned them in order to teach you something from them. The purpose of them could be in one of these four ways. It could come to teach you halakha. Something to do with uh, philosophy or be'emunot or theology, belief in Hashem. And it could even be something that's so miraculous that it falls into that category, which we'll discuss. And therefore you'll find there are four types of stories in the writings of Chachamim. Remember this, if we are able to put together all the categories, and we can say all of the teachings of Chachamim fit into one of those previous five categories, or one of these four categories, when you study Agadah, you will never come into a situation where you don't know what you're talking about. Everything will make sense. It's a necessary foundation to be able to apply Everywhere that you study Talmud. Haderch Harishon, who am I say? Shetilmod mimeno toelet, shetalmud mimeno perhaps, toelet bedinim. It is the way that teaches you things in halakha. So you see a story. The purpose of the story is to teach you a matter of halakha. So for example, Kedamar Besuka, like Chachamim say in the Mishnah, in the second chapter of Sukkah, Mi shehaya rosho verubo basuka. A person who, the, his head and the majority of his body were inside of a sukkah. And his tables were. His table is in the house, or it's outside of the sukkah. So you should know in the Mishnah, and I should have in the source sheet, I should have taken the rest of the Mishnah or Talmud that Rabbeinu Avraham did not quote. I should have taken it and plugged it in here so you would at least have it, but I'll share with you by heart the things that I remember. Bet Shammai hold, Poslin. Bet Shammai say, if your head and the majority of your body are in the sukkah, but your table is outside, it's Pasul. And Bet Hillel, Matirim, Bet Hillel, Bet Hillel say that it's okay. V'chen amu lahem bet Hillel le bet Shammai. And bet Hillel said to bet Shammai, Ma'aseh, there was a story. Shehalchu zikne bet Hillel u bet Shammai likrat Rabbi Yochanan ben HaChorani. That they went, the elders of bet Hillel, the elders of bet Shammai. So this is not Hillel and Shammai themselves. This is the academies of Hillel and Shammai. The yeshivot of Hillel and Shammai. They went to go visit Rabbi Yochanan ben HaChorani. Umtza'uhu rosho verubo basuka v'shulchano v'toch habayit. And they found that his table was inside of the house, and his head, and the majority of his body was inside of the sukkah. And they said, look, that's a proof that it's okay. And they also said, hey, that's a proof. Uh, sorry, Michila. tells Hillel, is that a proof? So you tell me this story. But we're arguing in Halakha. The Halakha is, according to Bet Shammai, that if your head and your majority of your body are in the sukkah and your table is outside, you're, it's not kasher. Bet Hila says, but you don't remember that time where we went to visit Rabbi Yochanan and that's how he was sitting? Bet Shammai says, Misham Raya, you're going to bring me a proof from a story? Avhem amrulo, we'd also tell him, Imken ha'ita noheg lo kiyamta mitzvah sukkah miyamecha. If that's the way you always sat in your sukkah, you never in your life fulfilled the mitzvah of sukkah. Meaning, Bet Hishamai doesn't see the story as a proof in Halakha. Bet Hillel is trying to use it as a proof. Maserav, it's a story about a rabbi. 
But Bet Shammai says, no, halachically, the story doesn't work. And therefore, even this uh, Rabbi Yochanan, who was there and sitting this way, he was never fulfilling the mitzvah of sukkah. I remember once a famous, we were sitting in the Bed Midrash of Arab Peretz, and we were speaking about an etrog. And Arab Peretz, one of the simanim of an etrog that is not kasher is that it's sour in the inside. And so I said, ah, but a lot of etrogim are sour. So, so a lot of etrogim are psulim. A lot of etrogim are not kosher. So yeah, but there's a famous Rishon. I don't want to mention his name. The Rishon says that his etrog was sour inside. So Arab Peretz, good. So his etrog was pasul. Also, what's so surprising for you? Like there was a story in Ketubot. In the interest of time, I don't want to read you the story. There was this problem here of, of Yerusha. The mother of uh, Rama Bar inherited her possessions to one of her sons. And then she inherited a different one of his, her possessions to another, the rest of her possessions to another son. And there were now two contracts of all her possessions to two different sons. They came to the Bedin. There was a story there. And the whole purpose of the story is to teach you a halakha. It's not important for us, the story that happens here. And therefore, on the top of page 5, in the left column, There are so many stories in the Talmud, where the stories are meant to teach you halachot, that there's just too, too many of them to count, but that is one category of story. So category number one, Sipurim, Masiot, stories that came to teach us something in Dinim, in halachot. The second category, Bemidot v'deot. It's something that's going to teach us. Its purpose is to teach us character traits or proper ad, uh, proper uh, behavior. Like the Talmud says in Masechet Shabbat on page thirty and thirty-one. A person should always be humble, like Hillel, and not strict, in particular, like Shammai. There's a story. Rabbi Abraham is assuming you know the Talmud by heart. It's a famous story we've mentioned here before. Of Hillel. Hillel and Shammai were known to have two different personalities. You know, there's a song that many communities haven't been had to sing before Kiddush. And there, there's a sentence that never sat well with me. It says, May you may be like Hillel veloke Shammai. You want to say, let me be like Hillel, but why put down Shammai? And for many years, I had a problem with the song and with the saying. And, and listen, it's obviously based here that you should be like Hillel and not like Shammai. But it didn't feel right for me every Shabbat to put down Shammai. Why would it? It happened already. You already passed from this world. Until once I was sitting in Williamsburg at the house of a, a grandson of two different Hasidic Rebbe's. And I was sitting in his house and he sang the song. And I saw that it came to that verse, he sang it differently. I said, why did you change the words? He said, his grandfather used to say that he had a different version of the song. It said, may I be kihilel uche shamay, not loke shamay. I wish to be like hilel and shamay. The good things in both of them. So the story is that this man made a bet with his friend. Listen, go, if you can get hilel mad, I'll give you 400 coins. And they went, and they went, there was a famous story, Erev Shabbat, they called, hey, Hillel, Hillel, are you home? And Hillel comes down, he gets dressed out of his bath, and he answers this question, some silly question about the way the world works. Hillel goes up to his bath again, gets undressed, goes in the bath, hey, is Hillel home? Is Hillel home? The man comes down from his, uh, for, uh, Hillel comes down from his shower, sees the man, the man asks him a question. He says, Hillel says, do you have any more questions? No, he goes up again, and this happens a few times. At the end, the man says, you know, Hillel, are you the famous Hillel? He said, yes. I bless that there should be no more people like you and the Jewish people. So why would you say such a bad thing about me? All I did was help you. He said, because I lost coins because of you. I lost money. I lost the bet. He said, it was better for you that you should lose a bet than I should lose my calm. That I should become angry. That I should be strict. And he left. This story comes to teach you, we don't, that a person should always be humble like he led. We learn from the story that a person should try to be like Hillel as much as he can. That he should not be particular, he should not get angry. Even about the things that make you angry. So a famous comedian who said, you know, it's not that I'm an angry person, just people make me angry. That's exactly right. And Rabbi Abraham says, Every person has their own level of anger management that they can handle. 
שזו מידה נכבדת מאוד. This character trait of not being angry is a very noble character trait. וזה הדרך נמצא בתלמוד הרבה, and you have many such stories in the Talmud that are meant to teach you how to act, how to behave, how to be a good person, how to be a kind person, how to be a compassionate person. It seems like these first two categories, Rabbeinu Avraham does not feel the need to elaborate in them so much because they're simple. Whenever you see a story that has a halachic ramification, you'll know that's what it's talking about. Whenever you see a story that has a character trait ramification, there are many stories like that, you'll know what to do with it. Now is when things start to get a little deeper. Hadech HaShlishi The third path. Hu HaMaseh Nilmad Mimenu Ikar Mikarei Hemuna it's one of the stories that will teach us a foundational point in the way we believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or in any kind of emunah that's related to the Creator. Like it says in Masechet Ta'anit. There's a story that they told. Now here, we're used to calling him Choni HaMe'agel. Choni is his name, and Me'agel has many different meanings. The, the Rishonim argue what that name means. But I looked in some old Kitveyad, and it comes out that it could be that he used to be referred to as Chuni, not Choni, Chuni, and Me'agal, Me'agel, Me'agal seems to be Ha-Ma'agal. So either with a Shva in the Ayn, or there are some versions that I found that have a Patach in the Ayn. Either way, today people call him Choni Ha-Me'agel, so I'll read it like that. Ma'aseh Shamul Choni Ha-Me'agel. There's a story where they told Chonim again, Hitpalel Shaduk Shamim, pray for us that there should be rain. Amar lehem tseu, go out, v'ichnisu tanerei p'sachim shlo yamuku, go bring in your ovens, I'm assuming your clay ovens, this I didn't find in the Gemara in front of us, the sentence. So they don't melt from the rain. Hitpalel, he prayed, lo yardu, it didn't rain. Asa uga, he made a cake, not a cake, he made a circle, in like in the shape of a circular cake. ועמד בתוכה, and he stood in the middle of the circle, ואמר, ריבונו של עולם, הקדוש ברוך הוא, בניך שמים פניהם עליי, your children are looking at me to pray for rain, the rest of the Gemara you can find over there in Masechet Tanit on page 23a. But ultimately what happens? Choni prays, and it rains. הנה המעשה הזה, says רבנו אברהם, this story יורה על אמיתת אמונה נכונה, is showing you the truth behind the true belief. שהשם יתברך, that הקדוש ברוך הוא שומע בכל עבדיו הצדיקים. that הקדוש ברוך הוא listens to the prayers of his servants, the צדיקים. Unfortunately, because so many people have a connection to צדיקים which is unhealthy, they coined a term, uh, gadolatry, like a gadol, but idolatry with a gadol. There are some people that have, unfortunately, this, this illness. It doesn't mean that there is no connection with צדיקים in the Jewish faith. It means it has to be re-examined properly. Says Rabbeinu Abraham, the tzaddikim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu listens to their prayers. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu answers them when it's difficult for them, when there's distress, when there's suffering. Now there's a minhag, Yom Kippurim, we start off Yom Kippurim with this prayer. In our community, we sing this on every ta'anid. Shema koli asher yishma bekolot ve'ha'el and we sing a song that you should answer me like you answered Chizkiah answer me like you answered Mordechai Nesteh answer me like you answered Daniel answer me like you answered we say Ane, Ane, answer me the humble one the, the lowest of the low we're praying to answer us like you answered the Tzadikim This is a fundamental belief in Judaism. Which other great nation is there? That has HaKadosh Baruch Hu close to him. Like HaKadosh Baruch Hu and like our nation. And the prophet Yishayahu says, so not in the Torah, and the Nevi'im also. Then you will call out and HaKadosh Baruch Hu will listen to you. That he'll call out and will answer him. And similar to this idea you'll find in Masechet Ta'anit in the Talmud, Once upon a time, the Jews were going up to the Ben Mikdash. When? In the three regalim, in the three uh, festivals that we have to go to the Ben Mikdash. And they didn't have water to drink. 
Nagdimon, the son of Gurion, went. Where did he go? The Gemara there tells a story, which again, I wish I would have copied for you and read through, but it's actually okay because in the interest of time, let me speak out the story for you. Nagdimon ben Gurion went to a certain uh, non-Jewish governor and said, lend me 12 wells of water and I'll pay you back 12 wells of water. And he said, yeah, sure, by a certain date. And it happened a certain date, and Nagdimon ben Gurion prayed and the rain didn't come, and this man said, ah, you see, you see, I'm going to get my money because you didn't pay me on time. And this uh, Hegemon, this non-Jewish uh, governor goes into the bath and Nagdimon Bugurion left the Bet Mikdash crying because he realized that his prayers weren't answered. And all of a sudden, he prayed to Akadosh and the rain poured and the wells got filled. And the Hegemon, such a chutzpah, you have to know people have chutzpah. He comes to Nagdimon Bugurion and he says, Tell me, I see that you made it rain, but you're too late. And the story happened where the sun came out and the Hegemon saw it as a sign that really the rain rained for Akadosh Bukhu for Nagdimon Bugurion. And the Chachamim end the story. And I suggest that every one of these stories, after the shiur, you go home, you do your homework, and you look up at these stories and try to analyze them deeper than how I'm doing it here. His name, Chachamim say, was really Buni. Buni, 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 Buni. But they called him Nakdimon. Why Nakdimon? Some say Nikdera, they saw this Nosach in our Tamu Bavri. That essentially, Rashi explains, the sun rose, it broke through Nivka. It broke through the clouds for him. It proved the point. And again, you see that when a tzaddik prays for something, the Kadosh Baruch answers the prayers of the righteous. The And this third category, also, Rabbi Abraham ben Arambam does not feel the need to elaborate because like section 1, halachot, section 2, good character traits, section 3, miracles that happen, uh, that are meant to show you, found, uh, not miracles, stories that are happen to show you foundations of our faith, those three are pretty straightforward. Here comes the next category. The fourth way. Stories that were recorded because something, something amazing happened to them. Like it says in Yoma. Please don't do it. Don't call it Yuma. Yuma is a place in the United States. Yoma is the Masechet that we learn. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yosei, we're traveling together. You may be familiar with the story. It's a famous story. I've shared it in my shiurim before. They went to a certain hotel. Rabbi Meir tells this uh, the innkeeper, My son, what is your name? It's the way of Chachamim to speak in kind terms to people. You know, something in America that always uh, threw me off. You say somebody, sir, ma'am, sir, ma'am, as you speak to somebody you don't know. There are countries in the world where you call a person in India, uncle, aunt, you, you speak to them in respect. Not really, I have a problem with that also. He's not your uncle, he's not your aunt, but yeah, chachamim, bni, my son, biti, biti, my daughter. Speak kindly to him, he's an older person, he speaks to other people like, I care about you, tell me. Mashimcha, what's your name? Amar lo, it tells him, Kidor. My name is Kidor. Inhu yavu All of the rabbis gave him their valuables, their wallets to protect. You know, he has a safe or whatever he has. And Rabbi uh, Meir said, no, forget it. A guy with the name of Kidor, I don't want to give him my wallet. The story continues. That the Chachamim came... I think it was after Shabbat. The Chachamim came and said, we want our money back. He says, which money? You didn't leave any money with me. So what do you mean? He says, no, you didn't leave any money. The innkeeper stole the Chachamim's money. And only Rabbi Meir had money. And they told Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir, I don't understand. If you knew that something was wrong with him, how did you know? He says, how do I know? He says, his name was Kido. So what's wrong with the name Kido? The Pasuk says, Ki hema. It's an upside down generation. He says, because his name sounded like Kidor, I said, I'm staying away from him. From his name, I already knew he was a bad person. And Chavim complains, oh, I don't understand. If you knew, why didn't you tell us not to give him our money? He said, I didn't know. You can't judge a person based on his name. I decided I wasn't going to give him my money. I can't tell you uh, something evil about a person. You can't trust him because of his name. So I didn't warn you. It's a fascinating concept there where Chachamim discussed Shmagarim. Your name can cause you 
certain effects in your life, the name that you have, the name that you choose. When you choose a name for a child, don't just pull it out of a hat. Also, don't do what people do, the name after everybody in the cemetery. Everybody in the family is the same name as people who died. You don't know. The names, names are important. Ask a Tamid Chacham, somebody who's a real Tamid Chacham, who has Yerat Shamaim for help with names. The story is only recorded to teach you the wisdom of Rabbi Meir, the insight of Rabbi Meir. And to show you how the Rabbi Meir's understanding, his perception of a person through his name actually came true and helped him. Similar to the story of Masechet Megillah. Again here, this is a story, I don't need to elaborate. You talk about a situation here where Rabbi Udan Nasi sent a hindquarters of a third generation calf and a barrel of wine. I'm skipping. Everything inside of this that is similar to this. And there are many stories in the Talmud like this. And in the Talmud, you'll find a lot of them. The majority of them are in Gitin. I don't know if it's a majority or just many, but there are definitely many in Gitin. Especially if you remember the pages in the Nuns, uh, the 50s, uh, where Chachamim talk about the destruction of the Mikdash and all the stories that happened there. And other places in the Talmud that have similar stories. And it's possible. When you find there are different people who understand these different commentaries, understand these differently. They might try to stick those stories in one of the first three categories. And they'll say, oh, the story that's really category number four, they'll say it's from category one, category two, category three. The truth is, He said, this whole section of stories is not part of the first three categories. Rather, it's his own fourth category, and someone who truly thinks about it understands it. Rabbeinu Avraham is correct that there are four categories, and the first three don't apply to stories of this kind. There's a flip side of this category. There are stories that happen in a dream. And the rabbis record them in very simple language. The reason? Our Chachamim judged you favorably. They assumed that you would never take a dream literally. And because of that, they recorded them literally. This is going to be one of the first stories we do together. Not the first, but one of the first that we do after Pesach when we actually get into the Agadah. This is one of those stories. Amru Chazal Bebrachot. Chachamim, tell us a Maser Bebrachot on page Zayin Amud Anif. Tanya. Amar Rabbi Ishmael. Rabbi Ishmael says, Pa'am achat nichnasti laaktir ketoret lifnai v'lifnim. Once I entered into the holy part of the Ben Mikdash to offer ketoret. The incense. He was a Kohen. In there, he says how he met HaKadosh Baruch how he saw HaKadosh Baruch HaKadosh Baruch was sitting on a throne, he was speaking to him. It's obvious to the Chachamim that this is a vision. It didn't happen the way it happened. There are many places like this in the writings of Chachamim. And like anywhere else where Chachamim discussed the, the visions of the prophets and how they spoke to HaKadosh Baruch and that the Kadosh Baruch Hu interacted with him. And like all the stories in the Talmud, which talk about the spirits, the demons, those things, this is classic Rambam here, where everyone else reads demons and Chachamim, they think of little creatures that exist in the world. Rambam rejects entirely that these things exist. Rather, these are visions. And everybody who sees that he can't tolerate this, he's not understanding it properly. A person who doesn't know how to think properly is going to think that everything that he read, everything that they saw in the Talmud about these stories actually happened. Rabbi Ishmael was once a bit of and he saw Baruch Hu. Don't learn from that. That's a mistake. 
ויבוא לחשוב ולהאמין דבר הנמנע שאי אפשר. And he'll come to believe things that are impossible to believe. אבל חייב. But he feels he's obligated to believe in them. Why? Because Chachamim said it's true. וכל זה יקרה לו לרוב פתיותו ומיעוט ידיעתו בטבע העולם. And this can only happen to a person, says Rabbeinu Abraham, who is a fool, who is uneducated, who is ignorant, ignorant in the sciences of the world, in the reality of the world. And they know nothing about how miracles work, and they know nothing about the way Chachamim explain these, these concepts, these uh, uh, prophetic concepts. Chachamim are the continuation of the prophets, and the prophets explain in simple words very sophisticated ideas that they saw in, in visions. Then if you want to understand, go look in the writings of my father, the Rambam, in his Moren Vuchim, in the third section, where he explains at length how the Prophet spoke. And therefore don't be surprised when the Chachamim speaks simply about sophisticated things that they saw in visions. I think this part here is crucial to understand. There are so many things that people think that Chachamim commanded them to believe, that go against logic, they go against rational thought. They go against the reality of the world, of the sciences as we know them. And they believe it must be because Chachamim said it must be. And they don't begin to realize that, remember how Rambam said, that you turn the Chachamim into fools because you think that they believe in the things that are bilti and minanimnaim. There are things that you, you can't believe them. But you're taking Chachamim literally and you're making them look like fools. The same thing there are certain people. What do you want? The Talmud said. What am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to treat our Chachamim like intelligent people and understand their words in the way that they meant them to be understood, which is deeper than the superficial way in which they wrote them, like the words of the Nevi'im. And our Chachamim themselves, they did this in the writings of the Nevi'im. Ha'chelek ha'shlishi, the third part. Ma'asiyot she'iru ba'olam k'mosh nikhtavu Stories that happen in the world the way they happened. Chachamim spoke about them in, in uh, exaggerated terms because they thought that any intelligent person would never understand them literally. And the reason they allowed themselves to speak in such a way, even though it's misleading, is because they were certain that you would never misunderstand them. Kinyan Shamu Bagmaratamid, like it says in the Mishnah, Zakatamid, Dibatora Shon Havai, Dibunavim Shon Havai, Dibuchamim Shon Havai. And they give examples of the times where the Torah speaks in exaggerated terms, where the prophets speak in exaggerated terms, where Chachamim speak in exaggerated terms. Vigimil Mekomot Elu Hemba Mishnah. And these three places, I'm skipping the paragraph, are in the Mishnah. Kiba Talmud, Yimza Havai, Len Mispar, says Rabbi Havraham. Those only three examples that they found in the Mishnah. But there are three places, that's the three in the Mishnah, but in the Talmud, you'll find many places where Chachamim speak in exaggerated terms. And this next section, the next sentence, it's up to debate what it means. V'dimayon ha'chelek hazeh, dimayon, the example of this category, ma'ashabu b'gmara megillah, what they say, Chachamim ta'anes ha'masechet megillah, the famous story we learned recently in Purim. In page 7 of Masechet Megillah. Rabbah v'Rabi Zera. Rabbah and Rabbi Zera. Avdeh seudata behadeh hadadeh. They were having a Purim meal together. Kam Rabbah shachteh l'Rabi Zera. Rabbah was so drunk that he got up and he slaughtered Rabbi Zera. He killed him. Ba'i rachamim alehe v'achir. And then he prayed for him. And he came back to life. The next year, Rabbah comes to Rabbi Zerah and says, Rabbi Zerah, you want to come back for a meal? He says, no, 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 please. Last year you killed me, brought me back to life. HaKadosh Baruch doesn't make miracles every single year. Famous uh, Gemara there. This is right after the story of, uh, of the teaching, that a person must get drunk and pour him until he can't tell the difference uh, between Haman, Baruch HaMordechai uh, and Aru Haman. And that has a lot to do with the halachic conversations surrounding that page. I didn't come to talk about that. Rather, here you're talking about a story where Rabbah murders, literally slaughters Rabbi Zerah, and then he prays for him and he brings him back to life. So what? Rabbah could now do Tekhiyat Ametim? Rabbah could bring back the dead? 
like HaKadosh Baruch Hu can. Perush, rather it means, Shehikahu, he heard him. Upatsa bo chabura gedola shekarov lamita. He caused him immense uh, damage, physical damage. And because it was such a bad wound, they used the words shchita, like he, he slaughtered him. It could be that they that he got that, that wound on his neck because of that. It's they slaughtered him because that's where they do shchita. Could be. And they used the word achaye. He brought him back to life from the words of Yeshayahu. That he brought him back to life from his sickness, not from death. He brought him back to life from his sickness. That's in the Navi. In the words of Chachamim, Chachamim, when they use the word to heal a wound, in, in modern Hebrew, uh, you heal a wound, meaning to bring a wound back to life. And therefore, nobody would read the story of Chachamim and think, literally, that Rabban murdered Rabbi Zerah and then brought him back to life. Rather, he hurt him severely, injured him severely, and prayed for him to become healed. Lechamohun, there's a similar story in Masechet Kitubot. This is to, story is one that requires a lot of limud, requires learning. It's a, it's a disturbing story. It has tones that may remind you of Rabbi Akiva in a different time, in a different place. I'm not here to discuss the story, simply to tell you what Rabbi Abraham says about it. Rabbi Chachinai Rabbi Chachinai was going to the Ben Midrash from the wedding of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. The Gemara mentions there that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, please wait till my Sheva Brachot are over. I can't leave my wife, but wait till afterwards so I can escort you to the Ben Midrash. He didn't wait for him. And he went and he learned in the Ben Midrash for 10 years. When I look today in the Gemara, by us it says, Teresa, uh, he was there for 12 years. I don't know what to tell you uh, the discrepancy here, but he was there for a long time. The story continues that he went to the Ben Milash, and after 10 years he decided to come home. He comes home, and he didn't recognize the city. In 10 years the city changes. He didn't know where to find his family. And so he was sitting there in the courtyard, in the marketplace, waiting to see. Maybe he recognized somebody. Maybe he'll not to get home. And he heard somebody calling out his daughter's name. Bat chachinai, bat chachinai, the daughter of Chachinai. I said, oh, that must be my daughter. And he followed her home. And he comes to the house and his wife sees him. Ad parcha rucha. And literally she died. Her soul left her. Amar Why did her soul leave her? She was so shocked to see him. She died. Amar lefanav, Rabbi Chaynai said, Ribono Shalona, Master of the Universe, Aniyazo, Lashav Shamra, this poor woman waited for me for nothing. Please, I'm praying for her, bring her back to life. He prayed for her, she came back to life. But she was sifting her flower when he came in. There was a famous story in the Gemara. You can go look there at the details of the Gemara, the story. So you see again, a person dies, he prays for her to come back to life, and she comes back to life. Then perush parcha rucha, it doesn't mean that her soul left her. That she literally died because her soul left her body. Because she was so happy, she was overcome with emotion. Maybe it should say oto. When she saw him, and she was so surprised that she saw him, it was a shock. Some of her soul left her. It's like, you know, when they say, uh, my stomach went up into my chest. She, she had this emotion, this feeling, like she was dying, like part of her was leaving her. Every person has experienced this in their life before. This feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm fainting. Something's happening. It's so, it's so overwhelming. And he prayed for her. Calmed her down and healed her. And every time you see a story like this, that's what the story means. My friends, it shouldn't surprise you that people don't like Rabbein It shouldn't surprise you that people don't like the Rambam. Because all the miracles and the hocus pocus that other people find in the Reds of Chachamim, Rabbein Abraham has clear, logical, rational ways to understand them. That's our burden. In looking at a Jewish world where Judaism doesn't understand Midrashim that way anymore, I've been feeling when I was preparing the Shi'u that it really is our obligation. As much as I'm afraid of dabbling in Agadah, 
But if we don't do it, who's going to do it? If we don't look into the Maaseh Chazal, the Midrashei Chazal, the Haggadot Chazal, if we don't take this discipline seriously, and we allow other people to teach it as fairy tales, as the Jewish Aesop's fables, who's going to uncover the dirt from the eyes of our Chachamim? Who's going to clear away the, the mud so that their glory could shine? If not for us. The fourth part. These are stories that happen literally, for real. But our rabbis shared them through rhymes and riddles. We're going to focus on those stories. Because they're not self-understood by everybody. But if a person looks at them properly, like a chacham would, he'll begin to understand them. Even in their literal meaning, they teach you wonderful things. So the fourth category of things that are written in rhymes and riddles, and initially when you read them, they're very confusing. But if you look at them the way a chacham would look at them, you'll begin to see beautiful things in them. And there are other things that, that are so impossible to believe, logically, intellectually, that even a child, even an idiot wouldn't believe them. And sometimes a person feels compelled to believe in these things that are so impossible to believe. But if somebody is truly wise and understands the way the world works and understands reality and understands how to learn the words of Chazal, they'll begin to understand these stories properly. An example of Dvarze of this uh, of this type of study. Like a rabbi say in Masechet there were two Kushim, people from Kush, a place in Africa, that were standing in front of Shlomo HaMelech. And they said, I'm embarrassed that the Nikud I don't have. Shlomo Melech was there with these two uh, men, these two uh, kushim. I'm not using that in the negative uh, Israeli slang, but kushim, they're from kush, that's how Torah describes them. And Shlomo Melech, he noticed the angel of death was very sad. Let me tell the story. Shlomo Melech, it's not here. Shlomo Melech, and you can look it up in Masech Tzukam. He tells the angel of death, why are you so sad? He says, you know, I was sent to come take these two people's souls. I was sent to go kill them. I said, okay. But I can't, because here in this place, in your palace, I can't kill them. So Shlomo Melech realized that he's waiting for them to leave the palace. So what he did was, he snuck them out and he sent them to lose, lose another place. And in lose, Shlomo Melech knew that over there, the Malach Amavit couldn't hurt him. Couldn't hurt these people. They went to lose, and they went to lose. And Shlomo Melech saw the Malach Hamavit and he said, wow, why are you so happy? He said, ah, because when I got to lose, that's exactly where HaKadosh Buhu wanted me to kill them and I killed them. Ad patach Shlomo, and that's when Shlomo says, ve'amar, and he said, ragluhi davar inish inun arevin be, latar dimitbayen inun mavlin de, Rabbi Yochanan, he's the one who quotes this teaching, essentially, blame a person's legs for what happens to him, because wherever a person wants to go is where his legs help him go. The legs, a person wants to do avera, the legs help him. A person wants to do something bad, the legs help him. So these people, they, they shouldn't have gone to lose, lose, they ended up in a bad place for them. Now there are people going to break their heads here. Why the Satan, the angel of death, Malach HaMavit, why he could hurt them over here, but not over there? And why did Shlomo HaMelech think he could outsmart the Malach HaMavit and he sent them over here? And that's Dafka where HaKadosh wanted to kill them. Slow down and say, thank God that we have Rabbeinu Abraham, the son of the Rambam. Hinepshat HaMaseh, Nimna Mni'a Gemura Lechol Bal Sechel Ubina. Says Rabbeinu Abraham, this story is so fantastic, it's so impossible to believe to anybody who has even a little bit of intelligence. The meaning of it, as what appears to me, it's something that really happened. Meaning it's a true story. These two people from Kush, 
בדרך כל הארץ מפני חולי שקרה להם או עניין אחר. He saw that they were getting sick, that their time was coming to die like everybody else. ורצה לקנות תחבולות להצילה מן המוות, and שלמה המלך wanted to make sure that these people would be saved from death because of their illness. והבריחה מן הארץ ההיא אל ארץ אחרת שהייתה טובה להם, לפי מה שהיו צריכים ולפי מזגם, שהחושב כי ימלטו שם. שלמה המלך calculated that it was something with the environment. You know, חכמים were very much into this, the environment of a person can cause them to be sick and to change places. And to, you know, even find that big חכמים would travel to hot springs or to other places to heal themselves. שלמה המלך says, go, leave this place, leave this climate, I'm sending you somewhere where it will be healthier for you. ומתו במקום ההוא, and they died in that place, אשר חשב שלמה כי שם ימלטו, and they died in that place where שלמה המלך thought would be better for them, ברצון השם יתברך, because that was the will of the Creator, אשר אין מלפניו לא מנוס ולא מברך. There is no way to run away from the Creator of the Universe. There's a footnote here, it's not mine, I found it. It's the language of חובות הלבבות. You know there are certain books that all fit into the legacy of חכמי ספרד. One of them is the famous book, חובות הלבבות. where he says, We must always be prepared. I'm afraid to read this now. I'm not speaking about us. I'm speaking about it in general. People must always be ready for that moment. And to be ready for that journey to the other world. We have no way to avoid it and we have no way to run away from it. Everybody lives for a certain amount of time on earth. And we may not want to think about it, but we have to know that it's real, and it exists, and people pass, and to be prepared for it. Back to our text, And that's what Shalomo said, The legs of the person took them to a bad place. He said, aside from what I explained, there's more to see here. He said, if a person actually goes to that story and wants to analyze every word and every phrase and why Chachamim used this word and why Shlomo said this and why Shlomo said that, you'll find deep wisdom there. ואין רצוני להאריך עתה בזה, but I have no desire, says רבנו אברהם, to elaborate on this matter now. ואל תתמעה מפני שזוכרים החכמים זל את הטייפו, don't be surprised that the חכמים בדבריהם מעשיות ואגדות שכולם בכללם משלים וחידות, don't be so surprised that חכמים sometimes tell stories that are all stories, they're all rhymes, they're all riddles, ואינם על פי פשוטם, and there's nothing to understand them literally. even though they're written literally. Because our Chachamim understood many Psukim like this, and I'm skipping down. Don't be so surprised that Chachamim speak in riddles, and that you don't, they're not supposed to take the words literally. What do you mean? Why shouldn't I take it literally? It's written literally. Because Chachamim themselves taught us in so many places in the Torah that they didn't take things literally. And therefore, of course, you could do the same thing with their words. Look how many times Rabbi Abraham quotes his father. And this is what my father and my teacher taught us already in Perga Chedek. And I have another teaching that will show you that you'll find many rhymes and riddles and parables in their writings like you'll see in Masechet Eruvin on page 63 there was once a student that Rabbi Eliezer had that taught a halakha in front of him there's a rule that you're not allowed to teach a halakha in front of your rabbi people make this mistake all the time Why do we get permission? What is they called? Smicha. What is smicha? My two dad says, Yore, yore. Rav Peretz gave me permission, Yore, yore. To rule, to rule. Meaning what? Usually, it will be forbidden for me to rule a halakha. Rav Peretz is here. You could go ask Rav Peretz yourself. What right do I have to rule a halakha in front of my rabbi? My rabbi is alive. Baruch Hashem. So, rather what? I received permission from my Chacham to rule Halachot. He's giving me jurisdiction to rule Halachot. So this student taught a Halacha in front of Rabbi Eliezer. And it wasn't allowed. But once I was sitting in front of a Tanakhram and one of his students asked a question and another student wanted to answer. I said, you want a Chayav Mita? 
someone who teaches halacha in front of the rabbi is uh, liable for the death penalty. Be quiet. Let your rabbi answer the questions. You many times in a shiur Torah you see people that try to answer for the rabbi. Don't answer. If they wanted to hear you, they would come to your shiur. They're here in this rabbi shiur because they want to hear his answer. Amar ima shalim He told his wife, ima shalom. There are a lot of Bukharian Jews who have this name, ima shalom. It's a beautiful name. I'm be very surprised if this student of mine, if this student of his, will live the year. And that student died before the year was over. Amalo, she tells him, Are you a Navi? Are you a prophet? How do you know he was going to die? He says, Lo navi lo ben navi. I'm not a prophet, not the son of the prophet. He says, Rather, I know that anyone who teaches the halakha in front of his rabbi is liable for the death penalty. And then it says his name, and the name of his father. Why does it tell you the name of the student and the name of his father? I'm not mentioning his name on purpose. To tell you that you shouldn't say that the story was a parable. There are many things that are not meant to be taken literally. When the, the Gemara is telling you, look, I'm giving you his name so you know that it's not a fake story. You know it's a real story. It tells you that there are stories among the Chachamim's writings that are not real. That are not meant to be taken literally. That's why the Chachamim went out of their way to show you that this one is meant to be taken literally. Says Rabbi Abraham, think about this, this is a great proof. And one of my great students, or one of my great Torah scholars, taught me this. Says Rabbi Abraham. This is very similar to the second category of the Drashot, which we spoke about last week. I mean you should know that this is similar to the second category from last week, meaning Chachamim knew that there were many deep secrets hidden in these things, and that's why they encrypted them so that they wouldn't share them with everybody else. And that's the reason. One of the things that will help you in this writings and in any other writings of Chazal is to make sure if it did it happen in a dream? Did it happen when the person was awake? Without a doubt. Make sure when you read a writing is it a rhyme? Is it a riddle? Did it happen when they were sleeping? Did it happen when they were awake? Is it a rhyme? Is it a riddle? Is it a parable? And sometimes you'll find a teaching that when you try to understand it incorrectly, it'll make you, it'll bewilder you. You should make sure that when you learn the writings of Chachamim, you try to put them in the right categories, you'll understand them properly. And that brings us to the last part. The last part of what we call Drashot Murkavot are drashot, teachings of Chachamim, that are made up of a few different elements. Some from one, some from two, some from three, some from four. And you can't understand the whole story based on only one of these categories. We I mean, can't fit the whole story in one category. The story falls out in two or three different categories. Veda, you should know. Ki ken ha-drashot nimtsayim There are complex stories, or, or uh, hybrid, that's the word, hybrid categories. You'll find one teaching of Chachamim that has two categories that can apply to it. Or even more. And he's going to give us an example from Masechet Chagiga. Our rabbi's taught. The story of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. He was riding on his donkey. And he left Yerushalayim. And he was traveling along the road. And Rabbi Elazar, the son of Arach, was behind him to learn Torah from him. Teach me one of the teachings from the secrets of the Maaseh Merkava, of the Holy Chariot. Didn't I teach you? Not when you're writing, you have to teach a person one-on-one, 
Unless the person is so great that he understands the Ma'asim al on his own, then he doesn't have to follow these rules. I put in brackets here. I don't know why I did it only here. Uh, the rest of the story. He tells him, my rabbi, Let me teach you something you did teach me. Let me tell you something you did teach me. Say it. From here you learn. You should ask your rabbi permission. Before you say Sometimes I ask Rabbi. Last night I was on the phone of Rabbi. I asked him a halakhic question. Oftentimes it's Rabbi Yonatan, what do you think? This time he didn't ask. So I said, Rabbi, can I tell you what I think before you give me an answer? Emo, say it. That's the Echeretz. Miyad yarad Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai ma'alachamor. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai came off of his donkey. V'nit'atef and he wrapped himself. V'yashav ala even tachat hazayit. And he wrapped himself with his talit, with his clothing, and dressed properly. And he sat under the olive tree, on a stone on the olive tree. Amar lo ribi, he says, Rabbi, mipnei ma yaratam alachamor, why'd you come off your donkey? Amar, he tells, nefshar ata doref b'maseh merkava, ushchina imanu. Is it possible that you're going to teach me something about maaseh merkava? You're going to learn something about maaseh merkava? But the secrets of the universe, the Shekhinah is here with us, and the angels of HaKadosh Baruch the celestial angels are, are uh, escorting us, and I'm going to be sitting on a donkey. How can we talk about this in an inappropriate fashion? So that's why he got off his donkey, and he wrapped himself, and he sat under the rock, under the tree, to listen with attention. At that moment, Rabbi Lazar Menach opened up his mouth. And he began talking about the Ma'asem Merkavah. And fire came down from heaven. And it surrounded all the trees in the field. And all the trees began singing. And they sang. That's what he saw in his dream. And he kissed him on his head. And he says, Baruch Adonai Eloha Yisrael. Blessed is God, Hashem, the God of Israel. Blessed is HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he gave Abraham Avinu a son like this, who knows how to speak in the Maaseh Merkava. That's another teaching. Praiseworthy are you, Abraham Avinu. That Elazar ben Arach came out of you. He is you know, one of your descendants. the story. Some of the story was obviously happening when they were awake, the part of riding on the donkey. So this story is part of the first category, part of the second category, and everything else in the same thing. There's another story here that has from the first, the second, and the fourth category. I want to skip it because really it's, it's, not, it's not relevant to me right now. Let's look on the left column on page 8. Rabbi Avraham says about that Agadah, I can't explain this matter more because then I'll be guilty of revealing secrets of the Torah. I've already spoken too much without the permission of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I've explained enough that any wise person will know what to do with this information. I can't explain more openly because I don't want to reveal more secrets of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And all these categories of the Darashot and Maasiyot and there's examples of each one. He's referencing the concept in Moreno Vuchim that I don't want to get into right now either. But I explained all of these things with this Koach HaKarov. Because he says, now I know that once I've written what I wrote, that every Chacham, every person with real intellect, when they come across a Midrash, an Agadah, a story, they will now have a better understanding of how to comprehend this story properly. And this will save a person's soul from speaking bad about our Chachamim. And then a person won't end up speaking like the idiots and like the Kerites. That's what he says. Who speak bad about Chachamim because they don't understand the words of Chachamim properly. 
or he'll drown in the mud of stupidity he'll believe in all the things that you're not allowed to believe so either you'll be a heretic this is referring to what Ramam wrote either you'll be from the category who reject the reigns of Chachamim or you'll be from the worst category those who believe the words of Chachamim and, uh, and believe in stupid things you believe in the impossible and you'll believe that there are things that exist that don't exist and you'll believe in things that happened that never happened and were never created someone just sent me an article that one of the commentaries of the Torah that somebody in the Torah was a really a werewolf a vampire I believe that there were people who wrote such things the Chacham who wrote this lived in a time period where the Catholics were really getting involved in werewolves and vampires was oh, because the Chacham who said something? Now you're gonna believe the Jews must believe in werewolves. It's not even from Chazal. That's from a later commentary. But common sense is not so common. Rabbi Avraham said there are two mistakes you can make when you understand Agadah not correctly. Either you'll reject the words of Chachamim, or you'll incorrectly accept things that Chachamim never really meant. They didn't believe existed. Ultimately, it's not a matter of not believing in the Chachamim. It's a matter of in, not believing in HaKadosh Baruch Hu properly. If you don't follow the real guidance of Chachamim, and you listen to fake guidance of Chachamim, incorrect analysis of the writings of Chachamim, ultimately your relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu will become invalid. And what will happen is that people will begin to understand this incorrectly, and it's like what Chachamim say. And by the way, what Chachamim uh, say, it seems to not really be in our Talmud. Rashi mentions, I, there's a footnote here again that I found, someone else made a point. Rashi, the Ozawa, mentioned that when a person makes a mistake, who do they blame? They blame their rabbi. The rabbi didn't say the mistake. But because we, the students, incorrectly understood something from our rabbi, we blame it on him. Somebody said. The same thing. We believe in things because Chazal said, but Chazal never said that. The belief that you have is not their fault. says, and understand this principle because this is a great foundation. It's a wall, an impenetrable wall. I've asked HaKadosh Baruch I explained it with the help of my God in this book. Put me like a seal on your heart, like the tefillin between your eyes. And this should be for you like an introduction to any of the Agadot, any of the Masiyot, any of the stories and parables that you find in Chazal. And it will be for you a great help. And you should be. You should be from one of those who truly understand the truth. And recognize the truth. And not to be like the other people. It's a reference to Pasuk. We like to say this a lot in the Sephardic circles. The people who go after stupidity, and what happens when you follow stupidity? You become stupid yourself. So be from those who always follow truth and become truthful, and not from those who follow stupidity and become stupid. It seems to be this concept in the Jewish community. I'll follow in just a moment. There seems to be a concept in the Jewish community, a notion in the Jewish community. Ay, such a simple belief, such simple Yirat Shamayim, such simple faith. Look at these people, they're, they're so, yeah, it doesn't make any sense what they believe in, but look how much they believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Those people never cross the threshold of the Rambam and his son, Rabbi Avraham's camp. If a person believes incorrectly, as much as we might love them and care for them, they're going after heaven and they're following stupidity. And they're ruining their relationship with the creator of the universe. And we cannot allow for incorrect theologies, incorrect ideologies, for false philosophies to enter into the Jewish community because it's dangerous for them and it's contagious for us and for our children.
I'm asking you as we step into the world of Pesach, and hopefully when we regroup together, I pray that we should regroup here in person. But when we regroup together, to put it in our mind, to commit ourselves to learning from here on out, and if we've already learned, to relearn the words of our Chachamim with the respect, with the dignity, with the honor, with the intellect that they deserve, that we deserve, and that will lead us to the path of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yehi Shem Adonai Mevorach Me'ata Ve'adorach.